warm greetings to all our friends and brethren around the world. Uh, greetings from Charlotte. We're enjoying summer weather. The Apostle John, Apostle John talked about knowledge and the way to know true knowledge. The prophet Daniel said that in the last days, knowledge would increase. That's Daniel 12, verse 4. Many will run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Well, in the past two centuries, we've seen a knowledge explosion. As far back as 2006, IBM Corporation described the time in which we're now living, saying that knowledge acquisition would speed up to the point where human knowledge would quadruple every day. Knowledge would increase four times over. The whole sum of world knowledge would quadruple every single day. Alvin Toffler wrote years ago on uh, the future shock and how we would have information overload. I certainly feel that from time to time. I don't know if you do as, as well. So on the one hand, science and technology have given us much more wonderful lives. We have, someone said recently on the radio, the equivalent of 90 servants in our household when you consider all of the uh, electrical gadgets and uh, equipment that we have even in our household. Mankind has even traveled through space. And 12 astronauts have actually walked on the moon, which is incredible when you think about it. You look up at the moon there at night and realize 12 human beings have walked on that moon. And on the other hand, mankind has not learned lessons of history. I hope you've read the Tomorrow's World magazine article, Empires Come and Go. That was the May-June 2015 Tomorrow's World magazine issue. The ancient empires of Babylon, of Rome, of Egypt rose to power and eventually fell in time and fell to ruin. The British Empire no longer exists. The Tomorrow's World article concludes with this paragraph. Quote, whether or not the Western nations learn the lessons of history or whatever our nation, you and I can repent individually and we must. The day of God's judgment against humanity's failed ways is approaching fast. Those nations and individuals who turn to God will be blessed. What should you do? Do not wait for your nation to change. Now is the time for you to seek God with all your heart. Turn to Hosea, the fourth chapter. We have a comment on how nations react to God's truth, and particularly the Western nations who are the descendants of the ancient tribes of Israel. Hosea, the fourth chapter. Hosea 4 and verse 1. Hear the word of the Eternal, you children of Israel, for the Eternal brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. So knowledge has increased, scientific and technological knowledge has increased. But God says to Israel, There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. 
Notice verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Well, knowledge is increased, but what kind of knowledge? Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest to me, because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Quite a serious indictment. But we realize, when we look around us, we realize that the biblically Judeo-Christian ethic that upon which this country was based is falling into ruin. And people are forgetting the law of God. They're forgetting God. And God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and I will also forget your children. So mankind has not learned the lessons of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Weapons designers and scientists have invented nuclear weapons a thousand times more powerful than atomic bombs back in 1945. I've mentioned this before on the telecast, but we need to review it in this big-picture perspective. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists has given us another warning on January 10th, 2012. Quote, the world still has approximately 19,500 nuclear weapons. 19,500 nuclear weapons, most of them a thousand times more powerful than the atomic bombs that were arraigned upon Japan in 1945. Enough power, the bulletin states, enough power to destroy the Earth's inhabitants several times over. Enough power to destroy the Earth's inhabitants several times over. End of quote. So is this the kind of knowledge that mankind could seek? You know Matthew 24, 21 and 22. We've read it so many times, but... Really, it is a shocking reality when you have the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists saying that we still have 19,500 nuclear weapons. But we need to again face that reality. Matthew 24, verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. For your sake, those days will be shortened. Back in 1959, I was depressed. I had just gotten out of the Army. And all I could see was the Cold War, the superpowers, the Soviet Union and the United States were almost coming to odds as they did, of course, in 1962 with the Cuban Missile Crisis. We almost came to an Armageddon-type nuclear war in 1962, very close to it, and on a couple occasions even since. But all I could see on the horizon was nuclear war. All I could see were nuclear missiles hitting the United States, hitting the Soviet Union, and not many people surviving. But I heard the World Tomorrow radio broadcast by Mr. Herbert Armstrong saying that Jesus Christ is coming again. And that gave me hope. I revived from my sort of depression because now there was good news. We can be thankful for that. Now that was a 2012 warning I just read, but on January 22nd of this year, 2015, 
the bulletin announced they're moving the hands of the doomsday clock to three minutes before midnight, moving it up two minutes. The bulletin made this sobering announcement. Quote, these failures of political leadership endanger every person on earth. So it isn't just wild-eyed fanatic, religious fanatics. These are very sobering scientists who look at the world's political and governmental situation, look at the reality of military weaponry, and realize that, yes, we are three minutes to midnight. Scientific knowledge can benefit humanity or it can be misused to destroy all life on earth. But God wants you and me, wants us to have true knowledge. Turn to 1 Timothy, the second chapter, 1 Timothy 2. What kind of knowledge should we seek? 1 Timothy, the second chapter. We'll start off in verse 1. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving you thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are on authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Uh, Dr. Meredith has been emphasizing that to us more recently. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to what kind of knowledge? The knowledge of the truth. God would love to have all human beings come to that point. But Satan has deceived the whole world. And the world doesn't have the knowledge of the truth. Do you have that knowledge? Are you diligently seeking that knowledge? As a whole, the world indulges in secular knowledge and rejects the truth. Let's turn to Jeremiah, the fifth chapter. Uh, Jeremiah 5. And we could think of modern Israel today, the Holy Land. Uh, several of you were there for the Feast of Tabernacles in 2014 and 2013. Uh, just a joy to visit uh, the Holy Land, Jerusalem and all of the biblical sites. But there's a change in that nation. Jeremiah was told to warn the nation of uh, Judah Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See you now and seek in all our open places. And if you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks truth. Brethren, that's something that we are all dedicated to, is seeking truth. Who seeks truth, and I will pardon her. If there's someone there in Jerusalem, I will pardon her. Well, of course, you know what happened. No, Nebuchadnezzar came in. There were several invasions, 604 B.C., and, of course, the three uh, men and Daniel were taken captive to Babylon, and they learned all the wisdom and knowledge of the Chaldeans when they were there. So they learned knowledge. They learned secular knowledge when they were captives there in Babylon. But in 586, the temple was destroyed, and God judged Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah. And I will partner, 
pardon her, though they say as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. So apparently there was no one who was seeking truth. Of course, Jeremiah was a man of truth. But Jeremiah apparently didn't find anyone in Jerusalem at that time who was seeking truth. I might refer you to our sermon number 716, Standing in the Gap, referring to the prophet Ezekiel, who calls God calls all of us to stand in the gap, and God's work is doing that. Well, how many nations are seeking the truth? Jeremiah was told to find someone in Jerusalem who seeks the truth. Is the modern nation of Israel seeking the truth? The Israeli uh, newspaper Haaretz uh, featured this headline recently. Tel Aviv declared world's best gay travel destination. Israel tourism is actually promoting abominations. And God is saying, look, Jeremiah, is there someone in Jerusalem that seeks truth? Are there people in the modern nation of Israel seeking truth? God is looking down on the land of Canaan, the modern nation of Israel. Is there anyone in Tel Aviv who is seeking the truth? God's judgment on these lawless nations is very fast approaching. Major populations, including many in the Western world, are seeking carnal knowledge. Turn to Romans, the 8th chapter, Romans 8. You know the difference between carnal knowledge and spiritual knowledge. Romans 8, starting with verse 6. Romans 8, verse 6. For to be carnally minded, or as the margin says, fleshly minded, uh, Fleshly minded, you know, what is it? Carney, carney con carney, what is it? I guess it, a little meat with meat, uh, but uh, meat, but be meat headed. But to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life, because the carnal mind is enmity or hostile, as the margin has, <clears throat> hostile against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So again, we are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, as he goes on on to say, if we are spiritually minded. But the carnal mind is enmity against God. And people are seeking that carnal way of life that is hostile to the law of God. The world has plenty of knowledge. But there's something missing from that knowledge. All the facts, all the reasoning, all the research, all the increased technology, all of the amazing study. At the same time, God gave all human beings mind power, and God expects us to use our minds to gain knowledge. But there's something missing in all of that knowledge that the world has as it quadruples every day and perhaps even faster by now. What is the missing dimension in knowledge? Ambassador University was the predecessor of Living University. Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong was the founder of Ambassador College and he commented on knowledge production. Quote, 
God intended for man to produce additional knowledge. He gave us the basis, the foundation, the premise, the concept. But he also provided us with eyes with which to observe, with hands and feet to explore and measure, with means to produce laboratories, test tubes, means of experimentation. He gave us awesome minds with which to think, end of quote. That's from his booklet, Why Were You Born? But what is the missing dimension in knowledge? That's the title of the sermon today, The Missing Dimension in Knowledge. So how much knowledge do you have? What kind of knowledge do you have? And what kind of knowledge should you have? God gave all human beings mind power, and he expects us to use our minds to gain knowledge. Ambassador University was the predecessor of Living University, and Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote this. As I said, God intended for man to produce additional knowledge. He gave us awesome minds with which to think. Then Dr. Meredith gives this additional perspective in his Living University founder's statement, quote, Accordingly, we believe that a university education should include not only developing a personal understanding of the underlying purpose and meaning of human life, but a mastery of needed secular knowledge and development of critical thinking skills as well. The foundation to do so, however, necessitates internalizing the worthwhile values, wisdom, and understanding embedded in the Bible, the missing dimension in knowledge. And that's from the Living University General Catalog, page 39. What is the motto of Ambassador College and Living University? How many of you know the motto of Ambassador College and Living University? Oh, okay. Oh, good. It's about 41% of you know. The the word of God is the foundation of knowledge. Is that a part of your knowledge? Is that a part of your character, a part of the way you think, that the word of God is the foundation of knowledge? Let's turn to 1 Timothy, the second chapter. 1 Timothy, oh, we just read that, I guess, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 3, but just to repeat, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So that's the kind of knowledge we need to have. Turn back to Isaiah, the 30th chapter, Isaiah 30. As kings and priests... In the future, during the millennium, we're going to be teaching the true way of life. We'll be teaching the whole world true knowledge. Isaiah 30, verse 19. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction... Yet your teachers will be not moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Who are going to be those teachers? They should be you and me 
All of God's people who are faithful will be teachers in tomorrow's world, will be those kings and priests. The responsibility of a priest is to intercede for someone else, but also to teach. And we're learning that way of life that we can teach others. We learn painful lessons that we can help those who are also experiencing painful lessons how to endure patiently, as we heard in the sermonette. Verse 21, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Well, you just pray that God's kingdom is here already and that we could be doing that for all the billions of people who are going astray and having to learn lessons the hard way. And nations that have not learned the lessons of history. But we look forward to that time when we will teach the knowledge of the truth, and the way, the way of life. Turn to Malachi, the second chapter, Malachi 2. We thank God for true knowledge. Malachi 2. You know, the priests were to preach and teach the truth, God's way of life, the statutes, judgments, commandments and his laws. Malachi 2, verse 6. He's speaking of Levi here in verse 4. Verse 6. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned away many from iniquity. And that's what God's work is doing today. I think I've shared with you before personally that What would I want on my tombstone? What would you want to summarize your whole mission in life after you've lived and died? I've told you before, but I would want on my tombstone, here lies Richard Ames. He was an overcomer and turned many to righteousness. God's work is turning many to righteousness. And you and I have a part in that. What were the questions evolution cannot answer? I'll, you don't need to write these down. I'll just go over them quickly. I covered these 12 questions in the two different sermons. Evolution cannot answer the question, what is the meaning of life? In fact, evolutionists will say there is no meaning in life. Question number two, evolution cannot explain the purpose of life. Why are we alive? Why were you born? Question number three, they cannot answer, why the universe? Number four, what is the origin of the universe? Number five, what is the origin of natural law? Scientists admit that there had to be a full set of operating natural laws when the universe began. They can't answer the question, where did the origin, what is the origin of natural law. What is the origin of life? They have a theory, but they've never been able to prove it. What is truth? They don't know what truth is. What is the spirit dimension? They reject the spirit dimension. What is the human mind? They do not know about the spirit dimension of the human mind. All of our thoughts are chemical operations. They reject the spirit dimension of the human mind. They don't know what the human mind is. 
And what is reality? Well, we'll see later how secular humanists call reality suffering. Yes, that is a reality, but it is not the ultimate reality. And question 11, is there intelligence evident throughout the universe that is greater than the human mind? And who has the greatest intelligence? They can't answer that question. In question 12, they cannot answer, what is the future of the world? They can't answer that. They can't answer the question, what is the future of the universe? They are missing the spiritual dimension of knowledge. I've shared this before. I don't want to take too much time. Uh, make sure. Okay. But I do want to share this with you. You know, early scientists assumed that the cell, the living cell, was the simplest of our organisms. But now they found, of course, that cells contain thousands of proteins comprised of amino acids. And even common proteins have a string of 200 amino acids. <clears throat> I'll recommend to you a, a book called A Short History of Nearly Everything uh, by Bill Bryson. He's a writes in a user-friendly way for non-scientists. But he writes this, The odds against a two, uh, all 200 amino acids coming up for a single protein in a prescribed sequence, which they have to be in a prescribed sequence, are 1 in 10 to the 360th power. The odds of a single protein coming up by chance the way it's supposed to is virtually impossible. That's one followed by 360 zeros. He writes, that is himself a larger number than all the atoms in the universe. Like a whirlwind spinning through a junkyard and leaving behind a fully assembled jumbo jet in the colorful simile of the astronomer Fred Hoyle. End of quote. That's the kind of well, you'd say myth that evolutionists believe. So is that the kind of intellect atheists embrace? Dr. Jeffrey Fall, our regional pastor of Northwest United States, uh, wrote a uh, commentary, Evolution, a Religion. He wrote this. It's available on our Tomorrow's World website, by the way. Some might wonder, Dr. Fall writes, well, how could evolution be considered a religion? Isn't it based on science? In fact, that is exactly the problem. Evolution is based more on blind faith rather than on solid evidence of science. According to Webster's Dictionary, quote, a religion is a cause, a principle, a system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith, end of quote. If you use one common definition of faith as a firm belief in something that has no proof, then modern evolutionists are full of faith. The faith-based religion of evolution, which lacks any semblance of proof, is based on a series of assumptions that are absolutely without proof. So the theory of evolution attempts to explain a creation without a creator. We could go on and on, but let me just refer you to um, the Tomorrow's World magazine article by Mr. John O'Gwen, Evolution, Fact, or Fiction. That's Tomorrow's World magazine, 
May, June 2005. That's available, again, on our Tomorrow's World website. <clears throat> and though it is not really uh, addressing the issue of evolution itself, but more or less the uh, problems of tolerance in Canada, uh, you'll want to read in our current Tomorrow's World magazine, July-August 2015, Evolution and Tolerance by Mr. Gerald Weston. So evolution cannot provide the missing dimension in knowledge. Why? Because it denies the spirit dimension. It denies the greatest reality of all, that God rules supreme. Evolutionists also admit that they cannot and will not solve our global threats of cosmocide. But what about science? Evolution does not provide the missing dimension in knowledge. What about science? Can science offer solutions to the world's critical problems? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary definition for science is, quote, knowledge about or study of the natural world based on facts learned through experiments and observation. But true science is totally in harmony with the creation. As you know, it magnifies our sense of beauty, of harmony. It helps us to see the magnificent laws in operation, the major design it has in all kinds of creatures and flora and fauna. It's just absolutely amazing. And every time I look up the beautiful Carolina blue skies and see those cumulus clouds, and I just think, isn't that just the formation of those clouds is absolutely beautiful. But when you get into the intricacies of DNA and RNA and their operation within the, the human body, how they replicate, Evolution cannot explain that, but science has shown us those kinds of operations, and to that degree, science supports and helps us to understand the glories and the magnificence of God's design, creations, and laws. On the other hand, we know that science has turned technology into abuse, and to doomsday technology. Former U.S. President Dwight Eisenhower said in his first inaugural address, quote, science seems ready to confer upon us as its final gift the power to erase human life from this planet, end of quote. So science isn't just wrong by itself, it's the misuse of science. Sir John Eccles a Nobel laureate in medicine and psychology, physiology, stated this, we need to discredit the belief by many scientists that science will ultimately deliver the final truth about everything. Science doesn't deliver the truth when it provides our hypotheses in an attempt to get nearer to truth. But scientists must never claim to know more than that. The scientific concepts that we have are always going to be changed as science progresses. So science doesn't have all the answers. It cannot deliver the final truth, as Sir John Eccles said. He continued, Science also cannot explain the existence of each of us as a unique self, nor can it answer such fundamental questions as, Who am I? 
Why am I here? How did I come to be a certain place and time? What happens after death? These are all mysteries that are beyond science. End of quote. It's laudable that some scientists want to know the answers to these questions. Some of you may have seen the movie A Theory of Everything. Dr. Meredith and uh, Mrs. Stafford, my wife and I, uh, saw that movie about uh, the uh, famous uh, astrophysicist Stephen Hawking and really a very moving movie. He was uh, come diseased. He came to the place where he was virtually paralyzed. Uh, he also got his doctorate degree at Cambridge University because he was able to prove that the universe did not always exist and that the universe had a beginning and that time itself had a beginning. But he wrote in his book, The Theory of Everything, page 136, quote, If we do discover a complete theory, it should in time be understandable and broad principle by everyone, not just a few scientists. Then we shall be able to take part in the discussion of why the universe exists. If we find the answer to that, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason, for then we would know the mind of God. End of quote. I just would have one message to Mr. Stephen Hawking. See my telecast titled, Why the Universe? And Mr. Hawking, you will get your answer. God created the universe as an environment for human beings to discover who he was and how powerful and how great he is. The universe is an environment for us to learn how to fear God and to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. The universe is our inheritance. The earth is our inheritance too, but we will inherit all things, Tapanta in Hebrews, the second chapter. Everything that is seen and everything that is unseen. Yes, we understand the mind of God, Mr. Hawking. God's people understand that. And here is a major astrophysicist, a world-renowned scientist, who is saying, then we shall be able to take part in the discussion of why the universe exists. If we find the answer to that, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason, for then we would know the mind of God. It doesn't come just by human reason. It comes by revelation from God. And that's why the world is missing the most dynamic element of knowledge, God's revelation, which is truth. So evolution and science cannot provide us the missing dimension of knowledge. What about the world's educational systems? Can the educational systems and institutions offer solutions to the world's critical problems? I just mentioned this uh, History Channel program on Prophets of Doom. These experts are describing the insoluble problems of water, oil, finances, they can't solve them. Dr. Meredith wrote in his Living University Founder's Statement, quote, A higher education that enables students to live happily and successfully 
and assist them in preparing for careers does not ignore engineering, mathematics, and the sciences. These are not mutually exclusive, irreconcilable quests. Realize, however, that the branch of human knowledge that we call science deals with physical phenomena and the natural world sustained by laws God created, end of quote. That's from the Living University General, General Catalog, page 39. I mentioned this at the uh, commencement address on uh, May 19th, I believe it was. Some of the historic universities established in the United States were originally established with biblical principles. Yale University, or college it was called in 1701, gives this history. <clears throat> Yale's roots can be traced back to the 1640s when colonial clergymen led an effort to establish a college in New Haven to preserve the tradition of European liberal education in the New World. This vision was fulfilled in 1701 when the charter was granted for a school wherein youth may be instructed in the arts and scientists through the blessing of Almighty God may be fitted for public employment both in church and civil state. So Yale University has changed from some of its original principles, which one of which was of religious, religious and virtuous life. Quote, All scholars shall live religious, godly, and blameless lives according to the rules of God's word, diligently reading the holy scriptures, the fountain of light and truth, and constantly attend upon all the duties of religion, both in public and secret, end of quote. That's a wonderful principle for Yale students back in 1745. <laughs> would that they would follow those same principles in 2015, which God's people are following. But what kind of education does God expect us to have? Let's turn back to Proverbs, the first chapter. The wisest man who ever lived apart from Christ gave us this instruction in Proverbs 1. I can find it in my Bible, Proverbs 1 and verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. In verse 7, you all know by heart, the fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge. But what kind of knowledge should we seek? The world isn't seeking that kind of knowledge. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1, 22. How long will you simple ones love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Verse 28, 
Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge. Chapter 2, verse 5, seeking wisdom as silver. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Brethren, we are so blessed to have the revelation, the truth, and the knowledge of God. Proverbs 2, verse 5. Verse 10, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to the soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. The book of Proverbs contains the word knowledge 41 times. You may want to have your own word study in that particular section of Proverbs. I've highlighted some of those in my own Bible. So what is the true knowledge? You know, what is truth? We already mentioned it, John 17, 17. Your word is truth. And Jesus said to his disciples, John 8.32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How many people are enslaved to myths? Thinking about an ever-burning hell where some of their relatives are supposedly in torment even now. I told you before about one of the funerals that I conducted years ago, and one of you was a church member, but his sister believed that Charlie was burning in hell. And she was sitting there just a few paces away from me and when she would just cry out, Oh, Charlie, Charlie, thinking he was in torment. I'd raise my voice and she would calm down. And finally, but nonetheless, people are not free. They are enslaved to these myths and deceptions of Satan in religion particularly. But we can be thankful that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In John 6, 63, the spirit that quickens the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So Dr. Meredith has encouraged us to eat of the word, the word of God. The words that are spirit and they are life. To make that a part of our spiritual diet. God is the great educator. We must all continually seek knowledge, but we have to have the character to test all things. And the way of true knowledge and the way of its application in our lives. So educational institutions that are not biblically based but which practice its way of life, its commandments, its values, and morality are few and far between. But what about religion? Religions of this world have the solutions to these problems, don't they? I have a book here that, uh, find it, called The uh, Scientific Examination of Religion. It's by human secularists. Uh, the best of free inquiry. And they particularly criticize the world of religion, and they certainly have a credible basis for that criticism. I'll just read a, a section from it. Um, this is uh, by Philip Appleman, who catalogs the history of violence uh, fostered by various religions, page uh, 
119. He states that, of course, the characteristics religious fanaticism continues and accelerates today, so that in recent years we have witnessed all of the following. So you're a neutral observer. You're going to say, well, let's take a look at religion. Is religion the answer to the world's problems? He writes, Catholics killing Protestants and vice versa in Ireland. Christians killing Muslims and vice versa in Lebanon. Muslims killing Hindus and vice versa in India. Hindus killing Buddhists and vice versa in Sri Lanka. Jews killing Muslims and vice versa in Palestine. Muslims killing Christians and vice versa in Egypt, Algeria, Azerbaijan, Indonesia, and Nigeria. Roman Catholics killing Orthodox Christians and vice versa in the former Yugoslavia, and both of the killing of Muslims and vice versa. Sunni Muslims killing Shiites and vice versa in Iraq, Shiites killing Baha'is in Iran, religious fanatics killing tourists in Egypt, unveiled teenage girls in Algiers, subway commuters in Tokyo, thousands at the World Trade Center, yeshiva students in Brooklyn, and doctors and their patients in Florida, New York, Alabama, Massachusetts, and Kansas. He states this, Religion stalks across the face of human history, knee-deep in the blood of innocence, clasping its red hands in hymns of praise to an approving God. End of quote. Well, he has a credible criticism, but he's missing out and knowing that, yes, there is a true religion. And there is a Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, who is coming again as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and as the Prince of Peace. So critics reason that all religion is illogical, violent, and hypocritical. But we know, as it tells us in Zechariah fourteen seventeen. That it will come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Eternal of Hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. True religion is God's way of life. You know James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion. There is a true and pure and undefiled religion which the secular humanists apparently can't identify. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So one of our missions of the church is to restore original Christianity and all that this implies. Let's turn to Acts, the uh, 24th chapter, Acts 24. Here we find a way of life. In fact, you'll find that what was Christianity called before it was called Christian? Acts Acts 24, starting with uh, verse 22. Here was uh, the Apostle Paul before Felix. Verse 22, Acts 24, But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way. Christianity was not called Christianity then. It was called a sect, a cult, or the way. He adjourned to the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes, I will make a decision 
in your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. I won't turn there, but the way is also mentioned that phrase in five other references. Acts 9, verse 2. Acts 19, verses 9 and 23. And Acts 24, uh, verses 14 and 22. I'm just looking at uh, Acts 24, verse 14. The Apostle Paul is saying, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so worship I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. The religions of this world are deceptive, and in many cases very violent, totally contrary to Christ's way of life. Only true religion has the missing dimension in knowledge. Already quoted John 8.32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But verse 31 says, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. We have several sermons on truth. Uh, Treasure the truth. Sermon number 394, Live the truth. Sermon 403, Rejoice in the Truth, uh, Sermon 410, and Sermon 555, Stand for the Truth. We've looked at religion, education, science, and evolution. What about secular humanism? I've already shared their inquiry or their criticism, but here is what they proclaim. Uh, Dr. Meredith has recently commented on the extent of secular humanism and how it's beginning to pervade more and more of our society. One definition of secular humanism is the belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God. Author Ronald A. Lindsay, in his article, Hope, Despair, Dread, and Religion, asserts that religious promises of immortality offer only a false hope. He says, Humanist hope is grounded in reality. Humanist hope is grounded in reality. Well, they're facing a certain reality, as he shows, that yes, we're all going to die. Is that hope? Humanist hope is grounded in reality. That is both its limitation and its strength. We cannot wish away the finality of death or other irretrievable losses. Nor can we provide acceptable answers to those who demand wish fulfillment. Wish fulfillment a smack at uh, the resurrection and religion. But if we have achieved the understanding that religion and belief in immortality are illusions, we can resist the temptation to yield to wishful thinking at times of crisis. With our gaze firmly fixed on the facts of reality, we can appreciate what life can and cannot offer. That, that, and that will be true whether we have the limitless horizons of a Faust or the more prosaic opportunities of an ordinary individual. Well, certainly false religion and doctrines based on the false teachings that humans have in a mortal soul are illusions. But, 
when Thomas put his fist in the side of the resurrected Jesus, that was not an illusion. The apostles who spent days with the resurrected Christ and were willing to die for their faith did not experience an illusion. The 500 witnesses who testified to the resurrection of Christ were under no illusion. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. The resurrection of Lazarus of Bethany. He'd been in the tomb for four days. There were many who saw that resurrection and started following Jesus. And the chief priests, Jewish priests, even plotted to kill Lazarus because others were following Jesus. The secular humanists are the ones under the illusion that there is no spirit dimension. They reject the greatest reality of all, as I mentioned before, as Mr. Herbert Armstrong once stated it, the greatest fact in the universe is God rules supreme. Mr. Wallace Smith quoted that in his uh, telecast on Who Says. I hope you all saw that telecast. So the proof and the real source of truth is not secular humanism. It admits its own limitations. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And secular humanism, evolution, the misuse of science, and the misuse of, well, all false religion are the way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. So secular humanism, while claiming to face reality, is blinded to the greatest reality of all. And God says in Psalm 14, 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. And that's repeated in Psalm 53, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But we know where the very source of truth is, and we can know how to find truth. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor it in vain. So those who sought knowledge in those secular fields we've briefly discussed, that whole building will fall. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Psalm 127, verse 1. So how can we know the truth? In the last few minutes we have, we'll discuss four different ways, or five, or six, or seven, on how to find truth. Number one, let's turn to 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Now sometimes we use the King James Version to study, but that did not really mean study as in research. It meant to be diligent, which is the New King James Version, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves Approve to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, you need to study if you're going to rightly divide the word of truth. And be diligent in studying the Bible. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And how much we've seen that in recent years. 
Why don't I take a survey? You know, I like to take surveys. <clears throat> How many of you have read through the whole Bible? Perhaps not every word, but you think that you've read something on every page of your Bible. Let me see your hands. Oh, wonderful. Well, that looks excellent. That looks like about, oh, pretty, 91.3%. Very, very good. That's very encouraging. I've been uh, reading through a different version. I've read through, of course, the King James Version, the New King James Version, and now I've been reading through the NASV, the New American Standard Version. And I've got about a couple more months to go, and I'll complete uh, reading that. But uh, how many of you have asked this question before, by way of survey, how many of you have completed all 24 lessons of tomorrow's world Bible study course? See your hands. Oh, that's pretty good. That looks like about 47.8%. Uh, I'll encourage the rest, the other 52.2% uh, of you, to pursue that. And we do have, of course, uh, Tomorrow's World Bible Study course online. We also have it available as a Living University course, which you can take for credit. And in that uh, course, of course, are, of course, of course, are uh, videos, live video lectures. So you may want to actually take uh, tomorrow, tomorrow's World Bible Study Course at Living University and actually get credit for it. While uh, we heard in the announcements that Living University registration is open for the fall, I would like to encourage you, of course, to start registering. Uh, senior citizens are eligible to take one Living University course free, that is to audit one course free. So, again, you may want to consider uh, registering as uh, registration is now open. Turn to Isaiah 66, verse 1. <clears throat> Isaiah 66 and verse 1. <clears throat> now, I won't ask you, <clears throat> excuse me, I won't ask you how many of you read the Bible every day, but I will say that that is an important requirement, an important responsibility. We eat food, we drink water, we breathe air. Spiritually, we pray and we listen to God. We understand God's instruction to us. How? By reading the Bible, by reading His Word. And to miss out any one day is really a lack in your very character. We heard in the sermonette, we need to persevere. We need to grow over a period of time with patience. But we persevere by reading God's Word, the Bible, every day. Isaiah 66, and you're unfamiliar with this, you know this verse. But what is your attitude toward the Bible? Do you understand that it is a revelation from God who is in heaven, the great educator? the creator of heaven and earth, who rules the universe supremely, that it's from him and from Christ, the word. Thus says the eternal, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand is made and all these things exist, says the eternal. But on this one will I look, on him who is a poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my work. You know, how many of you have experienced 
an earthquake in which you really were moving about. Let me see your hands. Okay, good. Right, so it looks like about uh, 22% of you have experienced an earthquake. And I was trembling in that earthquake. I mean, our little wood frame home there on 2461 uh, Mailing Street uh, in Pasadena, uh, it, was, it was just like a, a ship moving back and forth, and I'm in the doorway hanging on as the house is going back and back and forth. And your, your knees are weak. You understand, you, you know the power of God, at least one little simple example of it when you've experienced uh, an earthquake. I remember we had the uh, summer educational program out there <laughs> uh, in the science hall, and I said, well, all you uh, uh, teenagers, uh, you know, have any of you experienced an earthquake? No, they had, within two days later, we had an earthquake, so they, they had the experience right there in Pasadena. <clears throat> But God says you need to tremble at his word. What is your attitude towards the Bible? Some of you may be new and you haven't really proven that the Bible is God's word. But there are so many proofs. Answered prayer, fulfilled prophecy, the matter of historic accuracy, the transmission of the text preserved accurately. Oh, God has proved. I remember one ambassador student years ago was having trouble on proving God's existence. He all the traditional proofs somehow didn't make it an impression on her that God is the creator, the lawgiver, the life giver, the sustainer, the designer, the one who fulfills prophecy, the one who answers prayers. She read one of the correspondence course lessons on the accuracy of the Bible history. And that clicked in her mind and she realized, wow, really the Bible is accurate in its history? It really made an impression on her. Proofs from different people uh, make impressions in different ways, but we all must apply 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Test all things. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. But we need to really study God's Word. Barna Research has uh, shown, as I think I quoted in the previous uh, sermon, one of the top findings for Bonner Research in 2014 was Bible skepticism is now tied with Bible engagement. I referred to that earlier in the sermon. For the first time since Barner Group and American Bible Society Bibles, engagement tracking began. Bible skepticism is tied with Bible engagement. The number of those who are skeptical or agnostic toward the Bible who believe the Bible is, quote, just another book of teachings written by men that contain stories and advice, end of quote, has nearly doubled from 10% to 19% in just three years. This is now equal to the number of people who are engaged, and being engaged is defined as people who read the Bible at least four times a week and believe that it is the actual inspired word of God. So are you engaged? Do you read the Bible four days a week or more? As I said, you really should read it every day of the week unless you're unconscious. And again, if some of you are having problems uh, with uh, proving the Bible, you want to read Dr. Douglas Winnell's booklet on the Bible, fact, or fiction. We have another uh, telecast that might be helpful to you. Can you trust 
Bible prophecy. We shall demonstrate it time and time again how Bible prophecy has been fulfilled. So I hope that all of you are engaged more than four days a week, that you're not like the foolish virgins who did not put oil in their lamps, but you are reading God's Word every day. 2 Timothy 2.15, we read, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings. Another way to make sure you're living the missing dimension in knowledge, living by God's truth, is James 1, verse 21. James 1, verse 21. Very important, which I thank God that most of us are doing. James 1.21, but we must examine ourselves and make sure that we're not hypocrites, that we're just like the Word of God, we agree with it, but, you know, to actually not work on the Sabbath or to, uh, you know, not pay tithes, you know, well, maybe, or to pay tithes, you know, maybe I... I agree with that, but I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Well, you need to examine yourself because we almost stand before the judgment seat of Christ. James 1, verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Yes, the implanted word, God's word, by which we have been begotten, as he brings out in verse 18, the word of truth. Verse 22, James 1, Be you doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Have you ever deceived yourself? I have. I've deceived myself. But when you actually practice God's way of life, you can understand truth, live the truth, and actually share the truth with others. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. The fundamentals of truth, Matthew 4.4, 4, Luke 4.4. 4. Oh, Jesus said that when he was battling Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 1 John 3 and verse 7. 1 John 3 and verse 7. Here we practice righteousness. 1 John 3 and verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, that is, God, is righteous. And then verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is He who does not love his brother. Dr. Meredith has uh, expounded this whole section very clearly in his sermon on uh, our church family. So if you check out a CD from the church library, go to chapter 6 or uh, the section on the matter of sin. As Dr. Meredith brings out, it's not that we just... Anyone who just sins is going to be in trouble, but he who practices sin. And he gives a full explanation of that 
in his sermon on our church family. So I hope you uh, was just listening to that the other day and found it just to be very, very inspiring. So living by God's word includes, of course, fulfilling the Great Commission. All of us are dedicated to the sevenfold mission of the church. And maybe it's been some time since you saw the uh, DVD that was sent to everyone as a result of the uh, December or last November's uh, semi-annual letter, The Mission of God's Work. So I hope you see that and, and review that. So we can know the truth by practicing living by God's Word, and also, of course, by meditating on God's Word. We already sang in the church hymnal today, Psalm 119, uh, verse 97, Oh, how love I thy law. We meditate on God's law uh, day and night. So we want to meditate on God's law. I'll just refer you to Psalm 1 and verse 1. So how can you know the truth? How can you better know the missing dimension of knowledge? Practice godly meditation. Another way is to apply the biblical tests. I've already mentioned 1 Thessalonians 5.21, but let's take a look at 1 John 2 and verse 3. 1 John 2 and verse 3. By this... We know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Some of you believe that God exists. Some of you know that God exists. And most of us should know that we know that He exists. And how do you know that? Well, John tells us, Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. For whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God has perfected Him. By this we know that we are in Him. So the Apostle John is using this expression, by this we know. And he uses it quite a few times in the, the Scripture. You might just hold your place there in First John. Second Peter 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to glory and virtue. The Greek word for knowledge is epignosis. Gnosis is knowledge. Epignosis According to Vine's dictionary, I'll just read that to you, denotes exact of full knowledge, discernment, recognition, expressing a fuller or full knowledge, a greater participation by the knower in the object known. In other words, you have a fuller knowledge, a more experiential knowledge of Christ, as it says here in Second Peter 1. And verse 3. So we thank God for that, that we have that kind of knowledge. Now back to 1 John, uh, the second chapter. We have here a matter of gnosis or knowledge. Why was John saying this? If you'll go through, you'll find in 1 John the expression, by this we know. I highlighted it uh, several, I just highlighted all over the page. By this we know, by this we know. By this we know. We know that we've passed from death into life. Uh, You might mark that. Why did he do that? Because he was battling the Gnostics. They were called 
the Gnosticism. And what was Gnosticism? Well, Dr. Winnale discusses that in his Tomorrow's World article, A Different Gospel, uh, Tomorrow's World article, July-August 2000. Gnosticism revealed itself in different forms. One was asceticism, that is, not marriage, no sexual activity. On the other hand, Gnostics also rejected marriage but promoted free love. Gnostics saw laws given by an evil creator God as restrictive and inhibiting. They taught the practice of free love must be the means of bursting out of the social straitjacket specifically invented to stifle its love's liberating spontaneity. In the promiscuity of men and women lies the truth communion. End of quote. That's from Le Carriere that uh, Dr. Renell, um quotes. And curiously, from the Anchor Bible Dictionary, uh, makes this connection to Acts, the eighth chapter. According to early church historians, quote, the head of the deceivers was Simon Magus, that is the sorcerer known from Acts in the New Testament. Most of the heresiologists consider Simon as the first Gnostic, the founder of the sect or heresy. Gnosticism, knowledge, is saving knowledge. Those who claim to have secret knowledge had false knowledge. And today that tendency of Gnostics uh, still permeates our society, and you can read more about that in uh, Dr. Warnell's uh, article. So we've looked at the various means of so-called truth and knowledge in the world. But God has given us that missing dimension. As Dr. Meredith says, the foundation, however, necessitates internalizing the worthwhile values, wisdom, understanding, embedded in the Bible, the missing dimension in education. So thank God that you have the truth. Truth is revealed. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, in closing. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. The world professes to have gnosis or knowledge, but God has given us true knowledge. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, he gives us this wonderful revelation. We already know it. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You can't discern that through material means. It is a spiritual revelation. Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So, brethren, study your Bible every day. Don't let a day go by without studying your Bible. Ask God for wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Practice righteousness. Strive to fulfill the sevenfold mission. And then you'll understand more deeply God's purpose in life. He's given us the understanding of why the universe. He's given us the understanding of all the deep questions. We have the answers from God's Word. Thank God that you know the missing dimension in knowledge. Apply that knowledge. Obey the truth. Rejoice in the truth. Live the truth. And never cease learning God's truth and revelation. 
And let's always grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.